This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader Andy Norman takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Welcome back to my podcast, and thanks for choosing CC&G over scrolling through TikTok. Let's roll. One of the great myths of our time is that creativity can't be taught. Granted, it ain't easy, but taught it can be. Otherwise, why would you be listening right now? Here's the catch, though. Unlike other disciplines that can be taught by dispensing facts, information, and opinion, the teaching of creativity may actually fit better in the field of science than in that of management. Why science? Because for creativity to be learned, it has to be experimented with. It has to be lived. It has to be acted upon. You've got to walk the tightrope. Without trial and error and more trials and more errors, learning how to be creative is as sterile and dull as learning how to snowboard by reading an instruction manual in an office cubicle. Being creative is ultimately a two-sided, sheer heart attack. Scary as hell on one hand, but exciting as hell on the other. Either way, welcome to hell. So what is creativity? More precisely, what can be done to excavate it from its hiding places? How does one learn it, live it, and use it? Whoa, 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 kiddos. First of all, let's establish a working definition of creativity so we're all on the same wavelength. Yeah, I was going to say on the same page with being audio, you know. Anyway, creativity in the CCNG arena is defined as new ways of thinking what can be about what already is or never has been. New ways of thinking what can be about what already is or has never been. Pop quiz number one. What's the key word in that definition? I repeated it twice. I'll give you a few seconds to think. There are many key words in that definition, but the keyest of them all is the word new. So much of what people call creativity these days is just a bunch of rehashed old ideas looking for a new home. Given that this is a kind of marketing podcast, the creativity of which we speak in it is not necessarily the artsy type. It ain't the unbridled whimsy we associate to cliched outliers with a third eye on their forehead and tie-dyed facial hair producing abstract paintings or playing in underground clubs. The creativity of which we speak of here at CCNG Central must have, at its core, a business purpose. Pop quiz question number two, and what's the hardest thing to create in a business setting? The answer is simple. The hardest thing to create in business is demand. Every element of so-called creativity should be focused on creating demand for your product, service, company, Instagram account, whatever. If you can create demand, consumers will do your marketing for you. Creating demand is the panacea, the golden ring, the ultimate goal, the cure for all ills. It ain't easy, but it's not impossible, as we will soon find out. Let's move on. 
Despite the tone of this podcast and the personality of the guy who writes them, creativity is not fun. It's work. Damn hard work. So let me tell you a story about damn hard work. I used to be the CEO of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and some of my duties some years were to direct the gala shows at the festival. And the gala shows worked like this. There was a host, a well-named host, who had to do a piece off the top, introduce three or four performers, a piece in the middle, introduce three or four more performers, and something to close the show. So they basically had a responsibility for three pieces. Most hosts would work this way. You would get them an idea and a script. Hopefully they would speak to you in June because the show was July. And they would show up with this script. Maybe we hope they've read it. They would show up for, let's say, a seven o'clock show. They would show up at the theater at noon for rehearsal. Uh, by about 1.30, they were getting testy and restless. They were reading the teleprompter, trying to do as little work as possible. By 4 o'clock, they were, even though the rehearsal was scheduled till 6.30, they, they said, I want to go back to the hotel. I want to get a massage. I want this. I want that. And they would leave. That's how most hosts work. That's the commitment they gave to the show. Now, let me tell you the story of John Cleese. John Cleese, working with him was one of the great experiences of my life and taught me a massive lesson about work and preparation and dedication. So for the show in July, John Cleese was hosting. He asked for a script in March. We sent him a script in March. We worked with him March, April, and May on working through this script. In June, the show's writers went to New York to meet him where they read the script at a table in a hotel suite and made further changes and modifications. Three weeks before the show in July, John came to Montreal. Two weeks before the show, he reserved a rehearsal space and taped out the exact size of the space of the theater he was going to perform at. He brought in the performers he was going to work with. He brought in the writers. And he rehearsed for two weeks straight for seven hours a day in that space. And I remember him obsessing, obsessing on things like syllables. We would sit down, he would cut out not just words to edit, he would cut out syllables. I still remember him saying, uh, and, and remember syllables, pronunciation of syllables, uh, homage. When I say it, do I say homage, homage, homage? How long could I, could I speak out the homage? That's the dedication, the precision he put in to this show. Ends up the day of the rehearsal, he had six beautiful hours of an already rehearsed show to fine-tune to ultra-precision. And when the show was delivered, it was a masterpiece. Any surprise? Of course not, because he worked his ass off on it. That's what hard work is all about. Making the hard work harder is the fact that creativity is nebulous, ephemeral. To quote the aforementioned Mr. Cleese, who's a true expert in the field, by the way, When we're trying to be creative, there's a real lack of clarity during most of the process. At the start, things cannot be clear. They are bound to be confusing. If it's a new thought, how can you possibly understand it straight away? You've never been there before. It gets worse. Listen to Tim Berners-Lee, without whom you'd probably be listening to this on a cassette tape. The basic creator of the internet as we know it describes the creative process like this. Half-formed ideas, they float around. They come from different places, and the mind has got this wonderful way of somehow just shoveling them around until one day, they fit. So in the end, or perhaps in the beginning, the basic core activity in creativity is a thing called faith. Put another way, be patient. Eventually, the ideas will find you. 
But faith, or patience for that matter, are not necessarily staples of a busy, listen to podcasts at three times the speed individual like you. I know you need more than that, perhaps a handful of more defined baby steps to get you started. How about four easy steps to business creativity? Yes, yes, I know it sounds like some cheesy infomercial or basic clickbait. Better still, it sounds like the next podcast in this series where you're going to actually learn how to create. Creating is never easy, but a more uncertain world causes additional stress, and Lord knows we live in a maelstrom of stressful uncertainty these days. Because of it, we got to find new ideas, more of them, and do so faster than ever before. And the most popular form of finding new ideas is... The brainstorm! But actually, it's the least effective way. First of all, most brainstorms are conducted in the worst place possible to generate creativity. The joy-killing corporate prison known as the boardroom. And every brainstorm I've ever attended starts the exact same way. Someone laying out a challenge and then trying to coax out something new by saying, there is no such thing as a bad idea. What a load of crap. Of course there are bad ideas. Not that anyone should be ashamed of them, but knowing the difference between good and bad ideas seems to be a necessary skill in business, don't you think? Because of politeness or wokeness or what have you, bad ideas are thus not totally obliterated, but recuperated by their owners and recycled at the next brainstorm session. So let's lay the brainstorm session to rest. And good riddance. In its place, I'd like to introduce the concept of something called the sparkstorm. A sparkstorm is like a brainstorm in as much as it's a gathering of people presented with a challenge and hopefully somewhere more inspiring than a boardroom, but let's deal with one enemy at a time. But instead of trying to find new ideas, randomly generated words and or pictures are used as a spark for new ideas to find you. Let me give you a couple more examples. I'm, I'm Again, I'm going off script on this. I'm going down the improvisational path, so follow me. The first story happened at a thing called the Top 40 Under 40, where they honored Canada's business leaders under the age of 40. Unfortunately, it was a few years ago, but I remember the story well. At this conference where there were immense gatherings of type A personalities. They brought these, these speakers in. And some of these speakers were some of the most impressive bankers and marketers and financial people in the world. And they brought in one guy one day, a guy named Doug Hall. And Doug Hall came in barefoot, wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. And I said to myself, oh my God, this guy is going to be eaten alive here. But Doug was the guy who taught us the concept of spark storming. And at the time, now, now these things can be generated with random word, random image generators, AI can do it for you. But at the time, you didn't have that. So what Doug had, he showed us this concept. He had these dice, sort of for Dungeons and Dragons, but they were multi-sided, maybe 25 numbers on each die. And he had a book, huge book, 
maybe 10,000, 15,000 random words. And by rolling the dice, it, it came up with this random word. And by putting three or two together, that was the spark for you to come up with an idea. So this is how it, it worked. Doug told us the story of one day a candy company came to him and wanted an idea for a new candy. So Doug took out his book of random words, rolled these dice, and came up with two words that were supposed to help him come up with ideas for this candy. And the words he came up with were crimson and pistol. Crimson and pistol. So the way the process worked was, okay, you had crimson and pistol, but then what words are associated with each of them and perhaps the two of them together? So I will explain. Crimson also equals red. It could be blood. It could be the crimson letter. We can go on and on. Uh, pistol. Pistol could be gun. It could lead to rifle. It could re lead to an adjective. Wow, he's quite a pistol. It could be split into two, piss and toll. I mean, you, you can, this is what you can do. This is the creative mind. You're allowed to play with the words. So one of the things they come up, crimson pistol, maybe the candy will be like the gun where you put the barrel of the gun in your mouth and pull the trigger and it squirts red candy into your mouth. But that's kind of inappropriate, putting a gun in your mouth. I mean, I don't think a lot of parents would allow their kids to, to, to use candies such as that. But he kept on going, going. And then he said uh, there was what, a communist weapon, red pistol. Maybe it's a Russian gun. No. But then he said, Russian gun. Hold on one second. Russian gun, Russian roulette, Russian roulette. And then, you know, with the gun in your mouth, it came up with this Russian roulette concept. And then what, what is the basic tenet of Russian roulette? Well, you don't know what you're getting when that gun is fired. Is it going to be an empty chamber or a bullet? And then he said, ha, huh, red, let's go back to red. What does red mean in candy? Well, it means sweet, like cherries. But it also means hot as hell, like chili pepper. And then he realized, let's put it all together. Russian roulette, you know, two types of candy. You put two types of candy in the box, red candy, and you don't know what you're getting. You're either getting something sweet, like a cherry, or something red hot and spicy, like, you know, the devil's fire. And that was the concept for the candy. And he came up with it from these random generated words. Now, it could have been something completely different depending on what the dice said, but he did not. He allowed the world to bring the idea to him. He allowed the spark to generate the idea, not the old ideas pumped out from the brain back onto a table. The second example comes from a conference I once had to do at an event called C2 Montreal, which is a creative gathering of thousands in my hometown. And the speech I had to give was on creativity, but the title was this, Title to Come. I, left, I didn't leave it blank. It said Title to Come. It gave the time, the place, but the speech was called Title to Come. And the initial foray into this speech was getting the audience to come up with a title. But rather than brainstorm it and just throw out all these random ideas, I said, this is the spark we are going to use to create the title. To create the title to my speech, we are going to use the last text message that you have either received or sent. So what we went is went through the audience, raise your hand if you have something that's apropos or really not apropos for this speech concept and you wouldn't believe it, it was there was a lot of hilarity but you would also not believe how incredibly pertinent some of these texts were in the end the winner after all of the texts were read and laughed at and questioned and hmmed and applauded 
the one that won, the one that encapsulated what I was about to do in this speech, and I thought was such a wonderful title to it, was one a girl sent to another girlfriend about a date she had with a guy. And this was the winner, this was the text, and this was the title to the speech. And my speech on creativity was called, He's Not That Bright, But He's Kind of Cute, So I Guess I'll Stick With It. Well, I do indeed hope that you will stick with it. In the next episode of the CCNG podcast, we will actually take the four easy steps to business creativity. Wear comfortable shoes. Before I go, if you've dug what you heard, or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know I shouldn't, I will read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. Until next episode, CCNG you later. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast. For live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.